I'm your host on Lone Star Collective Podcast tonight. And uh, tonight is my guest is Jarrell Wall with the Gentleman Quins. Hello, Jarrell. How are you doing this evening? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. After seeing that intro, it makes me want to visit Texas now. Yeah, that's some nice scenery of Dallas there uh, that we've got there. Uh, uh, just for everybody that's listening tonight or watching, uh, Jarrell and I met online last year. And I interviewed and you were actually a guest on my podcast last year, right? Honored. It was one of my favorite podcasts. Absolutely. It, it was a great time. Great conversation. Uh, as I know, it will be again. Uh, <laughs> tell our tell our audience a little bit about who you are, uh, what Gentleman Quinn's is, and how y'all got started. Absolutely. I'm going to start by just saying thank you for inviting me again. You know, I'm always Absolutely. interested in seeing what's going on in other states. And, you know, it's a lot going on in Texas and you're at the forefront of it. So I definitely appreciate it. You bet. But yeah, I'm Jarrell Wall, CEO and creative director of Gentleman Quinn's Blunt Company here in Denver, Colorado. We uh, hand roll cigar style pre-rolls, premium pre-rolls out here. Uh, Kind of a full curated process when it comes to our products. Uh, I do advocacy work, uh, at least leaning into the advocacy work here when it comes to social equity in Colorado. Uh, And I, I do a lot of design work. I used to be a television producer, so that's kind of where I'm at in the industry in terms of, you know, pushing the creative sides forward. Absolutely. absolutely. And making great products. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so when did y'all get started out there in Colorado? So I got started out here. Uh, Gentleman Quinn's got started in 2015. Uh, it really started as a limited, uh, a limited release product at a dispensary that I was doing marketing at. So basically all my business partners all worked at that dispensary. We started it as, you know, just something to get folks into the doors because at the time it was still medical. And that's when it was more dispensaries. Now, folks come to Colorado now and say there's still a lot of dispensaries. But back then, it was even more dispensaries. And at that time, it was uh, the conventional thinking was weed sold itself. So we didn't really have to do a lot of marketing, you know, put weed pictures in a magazine. And that's about it. Uh, What I started to notice was, you know, shops needed differentiators in terms of products and things that bring folks into the store. So my business partners and I would eventually become my business partners. We develop a product. Over that summer in 2015, and we convinced the uh, business owners to just let us try it on the shelves. We actually had a whiteboard. We had a prototype. We actually did the whole full thing uh, to just, you know, present it to those guys. And they were like, hey, try it. And we tried it. And, you know, the story starts from there. Absolutely. Yeah. Tell uh, tell our listeners a little bit about uh, when y'all were getting started, because Colorado has a unique thing with law, law, their laws. You talk about blunts, right? Everybody Absolutely. thinks tobacco. Explain to our listeners what what you can and can't do with tobacco and marijuana in Colorado. Yeah, so all Gentleman Quinn's products have no tobacco in it. Uh, it's expressly prohibited within the recreational rules out here to use tobacco in any form of a product. So the name Blunt comes from, you know, wrapping marijuana in a cigar wrap back when it was the legal days. And it was one of the easiest ways to, you know, consume your cannabis. Uh, you know, there's definitely different times where you had glass that was uh you know outlawed and you could get arrested for that so you could just go to a gas station and get a wrap and just put your marijuana in it and you're good to go uh we wanted to you know make sure we brought what the original emphasis of what the industry was into the industry we wanted to make sure we have products that rem- was reminiscent of the culture of cannabis and at the time in 2015 there were no blunt type products on the market there really weren't a lot of pre-roll products on the market True. uh recreational dispensaries and, you know, the vertical integration model where uh, a shop basically grows the weed and sells the weed and marks it, does it themselves. They were making like little cone joints that, you know, the, it was an afterthought product. 
So we saw was a uh, we saw there was a need in the industry to have our one a blunt product, a branded pre-roll product, and generally just branded products in general into the market. So we saw that as an opportunity. And you know the the guy that rolls the blunts, we now know him as Gentleman Quinn. Uh, he rolled <laughs> us a very fat blunt, and we said this is something that we gotta investigate. So over the course of time, we uh, figured out what type of wraps would work, what would give us the right look for a blunt. Uh, and we end up with uh, hemp wraps, so non-tobacco. So basically, our blunts are com- 100% cannabis. So, you know, that's kind of a, a bit where we started at. And again, you know, tobacco itself is, you know, express- expressly forbidden <laughs> within our rules out in Colorado. Sure, sure. So uh, it's a unique story uh, that you told when, when I interviewed you before uh, about the whole search for the right wrap. Absolutely. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah, so... You know, at the time, uh, obviously, cones and and joints and things like that, you know, those are a little bit more prevalent, rice wraps and things like that that don't have any tobacco. So, again, we wanted to find something that was a little bit more reminiscent of, you know, what the tobacco wraps would look like. At the same time, a little bit thicker, holds a little bit more weed because paper doesn't hold the amount of weed that we wanted to put into a pre-roll. So we tried, you know, just about everything. We tried banana wraps, Mm -hmm. uh, corn husk wraps. Cannabis wraps that were just made from uh, fan leaves that were meshed up and they were completely green. And, you know, the company that did that, they were really cool with us, but it just didn't taste to where we needed it to. And really, at that point, it allowed us to realize what manufacturing in America in general, you know, looked like because there weren't many paper manufacturers. And as hemp, you know, came online, there weren't many textiles being made of hemp in that direction. You know, we definitely have a, a few more things in terms of clothes uh, some compost, some things to make buildings and things like that. But sure. in terms of paper and things like that, it wasn't being done stateside. So we were able yeah. to, you know, get in contact with, you know, over a lot of long nights of, you know, crazy uh, uh, time zone differences, getting in contact with folks out in Amsterdam who, you know, they had a existing hemp, uh, existing hemp industry, uh, agricultural side of things. So, you know, they had developed some hemp wraps and they were just going to trade shows, showing folks, hey, we got some hemp wraps. Do you guys want to try these out here in the U.S.? And, you know, we were the ones that bid on it. They were able to work with us in terms of getting things specific to what we needed them for. And, you know, that's kind of what we found our hemp wraps. And, you know, not anybody can get them. These aren't anything we just get off the Internet or Amazon. You know, we see other companies that do that. But, you know, we have our own formula specific to us. Okay, cool. So I did this to you when, when I interviewed you the last time. I'm going to do it again because you skipped past it so fast. <laughs> Tell us the banana wrap story. <laughs> oh yeah so we would uh we'd go online to try to find different things and we found one that was like a a banana wrap from this european uh, it was in in britain they had these uh banana wraps that had this weird little filter at the bottom and it was just basically like you know you just pack your flour down and whatnot we called these guys and they were you know close to going bankrupt and they were just saying you know we'll just ship you some we just pay for the shipping we'll ship you a bunch and they shipped us about like two boxes of it a lot of them. And we were thinking, okay, maybe this is the direction we want to go in until we opened them up and the taste wasn't quite right. Uh, it just wasn't what we wanted to do. And at the same time, we were kind of developing the hand rolled style of things. And these were already like pre-made and just kind of looking forward. Now the company seems to be doing well. I'm seeing them in all sorts of dispensaries and stuff like that. <laughs> the exact same things. But you know, for us, it was about the taste and making sure we could taste the flower and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I would imagine that would mask it somewhat. <laughs> oh, a lot. You'd be surprised. <laughs> no, I can I can imagine. Believe me. So, uh, 
tell us a little bit about your packaging. You have some unique packaging as well. Absolutely. Uh, what we wanted to do was what happens a lot out in Colorado or really just industry wide because of so many restrictions on having child proofing and stuff like that. Uh, there's auxiliary companies that make packaging for folks. It's a lot easier. It's a lot cheaper to just go with that. We wanted to do everything the hard way. So we wanted to make a, a packaging that was reminiscent of the cigar industry, uh, the, the cigar style uh, humidor boxes. And really the idea of it was we wanted to make a product that showed that we respected the customers because, you know, by and large, we go to folks' houses and they'd have a bunch of, you know, uh, stuff that looked like medicine tubes that where people would put cannabis, but they wouldn't throw them away. So we thought, you know, that would be a cool marketing space to have something that, you know, generally folks either don't throw away or they take home when they go out of state. And if we had something very unique there, folks would just keep it. It would make them be prompted to want to buy more or just even show it off to folks who would get them to want to buy more. So we were able to, you know, find a product that was, find some boxing. Actually, we created the boxes ourselves. Uh, We went to Hobby Lobby, found some pencil boxes that kind of look like uh, cigar boxes. We stained them. We painted them. We got in contact with the sticker company. We just did that. And it was really, you know, like I said, to kind of mimic the humidor style. Now, fast forward seven years later, you know, we're actually working with a cigar manufacturer in Nicaragua that actually hand creates those boxes for those type of countries, for the industry. So they're making some for us specifically. And, you know, we're really happy with that production. And it's all handcrafted the entire way through. Yeah, that's that's one thing that's nice about your product. From start to finish, it's handcrafted. I like that. I like that. Absolutely. We're coming up on our first sponsor break. Y'all stay tuned for us to come back and talk a little bit more about what uh, Jarrell is up to in Colorado about with social equity and other things. Cultivators is a sponsor of Texas Cannabis Collective and the Lone Star Collective Podcast. Oak Cliff focuses on quality assurance with their hemp products while providing customer service to help you discover cannabinoids to meet your needs. Their product line includes hemp flour, pre-rolls, CBG tinctures, edibles, Delta Eat, and merch. For more information on their product's quality or to shop online today, visit oakcliffcultivators.com or contact them at info at oakcliffcultivators.com. Thrive Apothecary offers an experience truly unique from anything else in Texas, a full-service cannabis solution that is doctor-owned and offers customers every level of cannabis legally available in Texas. From traditional CBD products to emerging hemp-derived THC edibles, smokables, and now medical cannabis. As a licensed medical cannabis provider, prospective patients from anywhere in Texas can book a sponsored online eligibility consultation to determine if they qualify for a medical marijuana prescription from the comfort of their own home. Plus, for Texas veterans, the first prescription appointment is donated by Thrive. Visit thrivetx.com for more information. Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast, distributed on Spotify iTunes, Google Podcasts, Facebook, and much more to give Texans information regarding policy, industry, and culture. Here is this week's host, Jesse Williams. Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective. I'm your host, Gramps, Chris Crisolia. 
And my guest tonight is Jarrell Wall of Gentleman Quinns of Colorado. Uh, Jarrell, welcome and glad to have you. Hey, man, I'm glad to be here. About to, glad to be in big old Texas. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope this goes out to a little more than just Texas. But yeah, everybody in Texas should be listening and watching. Tell us a little bit about what all you're involved with, with the social equity scene out there in Colorado. That's a, a busy thing I'm hearing. Yeah, so there's, you know, I, I definitely preface this by saying there's other folks in the space that's doing more than me. You know, I own a business. I'm the CEO, so I got to focus a lot of my time there. But, you know, I definitely lend myself to, you know, helping folks that are from my community, underserved community, and the communities that haven't really been able to join into the industry in the way that the industry has matured into. Because uh, I remember when I got started, there wasn't a lot of help in terms of business accelerators understanding how to get through the process. There was a lot of uh, folks that would charge you to do your applications, charge you to find lo- all sorts of nonsense, you know, and yeah. hey, folks still do that. That is what it is. But for me, I kind of saw the pitfalls in that. I saw that for myself. Uh, I didn't have a lot of capital, but I had a lot of, uh, you know, had a really great team, my partner Austin Flume and Gentleman Quinn. We were able to, you know, just kind of do everything ourselves. And even with that, I realized that, folks needed a lot of information that I had that I was able to kind of just get out of the ground myself. So when it comes to social equity, I work with a few different uh, groups. I work with the state in terms of rulemaking, the city of Colorado in terms of, you know, rulemaking and things like that, assisting with, you know, our expertise in the industry, what things will work and what things we would like to see, you know, change based on what the regulators and legislators can do. So, you know, that's, that's a little bit of, you know, my involvement there, you know, just trying to help out the best I can and lend my voice. Yeah. So, so where are they at in Colorado? I know it's been something that's been worked on for some time is social equity. Uh, so where are we at? Do, or do we have any progress? Yeah. So in terms of, uh, it depends on what you, what you mean by progress. Uh, so there's <laughs> always, there, there's two sides of it, right? There's a licensing side where the city and state, they realize, Hey, we don't want to get caught with our pants down. More States are coming online. Uh, more States are starting at the very beginning to say, you know, cannabis may be uh, the war on drugs and maybe this, uh, you know, punitive nature that we've had cannabis over the last seven years may have helped put a hand in destroying some of these communities. It may have helped mm-hmm. taking away some resources out of the schools and things like that. Maybe we should do something to it, do something for that, because, you know, as a state, we're making billions of dollars on tax revenue and we can sidestep, you know, whatever the general funds are or the general assembly is and we could just overtax this industry make new schools a b and c so maybe we should like try to carve out a space where folks who are disadvantaged by illegalization uh can get in so on one side the state made some different rule recommendations they allowed for after covid when dispensaries were saying you know we need drive through windows because folks can't come in and you know we don't want to get anybody we, we want to keep the the industry healthy and whatnot in the way that uh the cannabis industry was considered uh, an essential business. So mm-hmm. we want to have drive throughs We want to have uh, delivery. We want to have folks coming in at curbside pickup and things like that. So as uh, restrictions started to lift a bit, you know, these dispensaries and folks in the industry said, well, we don't want to go back. We already, we already showed you we can do it. We already showed you we have the enforcement, the surveillance, you know, the safety to make sure that, you know, delivery and things like that can be safe and it could be more accessible to folks who, aren't near dispensaries or in rural parts of the state or just not even accessible to just come into a dispensary so we can make it happen. So the state said, 
Well, in that case, if we're going to make new licenses, let's designate that as the backbone to social equity. Folks who are from disadvantaged areas based on whatever their criteria was with the state, folks who had arrest records in cannabis and, you know, things like that, they'd be eligible okay. for those licenses. On yeah. top of that, uh, you know, I was in the room. We actually pushed at the governor to make a fund, a cannabis fund that would go to social equity licenses with startup fees and things like that. Recommending that if you're going to get a license, well, how about we, you know, uh, lessen the the burden of costs and things like that. So, you know, those are on one hand, some of the things that have happened. On the other hand, not too many municipalities, because what happens with regulations uh, within states, you know, the state has an overarching regulation. Hey, you can get a business license, but the city has to regulate how you do business in their cities. So not every city got on the social social equity bandwagon. And, you know, to preface that, not every city in Colorado or not every municipality or county even has recreational cannabis allowed, you know? Yeah. Still a lot of prohibitionists out there, right? So some states aren't even on, some cities aren't even online, but the cities that are online, not many of them have jumped on to, you know, have uh, allowances for social equity. So that just kind of leaves Denver, you know, as like one of the, might be the only one that's doing social equity work. So they made it so that for, at the time, I believe it was 2020, for the next three to five years after that, only folks with a social equity designation can get a delivery license, which means they could deliver to customers. And then for the next seven years, only social equity applicants can get new stores, cultivations, and uh, manufacturing facilities. So, you know, all those things sound great. Uh, In a way, it's been, I don't want to say it's been a disaster because some folks have licenses. We definitely have more folks in the space speaking up. But uh, the problem with it is the the main one, the main accessible license is, you know, delivery. So a lot of folks wanted to get into the delivery side, but that is completely uh, handheld by the dispensaries. The dispensaries have to, you know, want to get a license themselves, partner with the social equity applicant. And from there, you know, that would allow those social equity applicants to start delivering. Well, if it's a three-year moratorium period where only social equity licensees can get that license, and after that, dispensaries could do it themselves, well, in Denver, they showed the data. Most dispensaries just kind of elected to just say, "Uh, we can't do it right now. Uh, It's too expensive. You know, all these different things that they weren't saying during COVID, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. and hey, again, I'm a manufacturer, so I have a little bit of a, you know, bias to it, you know, at that point of the delivery, they didn't allow manufacturers to be B2C. And, you know, that's something I'm pretty passionate about because, you know, it, it only leaves us with one distribution lane being the dispensaries. So mm-hmm. that's not a equitable industry in general, regardless of social equity. So, you know, we're, we're still brick and mortar. We're not really e-commerce other than just ordering ahead. So th- those are all the general issues with social equity. I think it's, you know, the, the city of Denver has, you know, uh, going to the city council, and they wanted to make delivery for social equity applicants indefinite. And that's a good step. But we still have to hammer on other municipalities to do something, get to some banking. I understand that the issue isn't really just that we don't have licenses. It's about finances. Who has the money to get into this really crowded, really saturated, really expensive industry and education pieces? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So for my fellow Texans here and anybody else who might be watching or listening, uh, Explain what are some of the things that you need to happen in regard to social equity, in your opinion, so that maybe we can, when we get around to legalizing here, we do it the right way or at Absolutely. Least attempt to do it the right way. Well, I'll definitely say uh, I would 
obviously recommend some folks who have a social equity license. I was pre social equity. So, you know, I was, you know, burdened with the high fees and I still got to pay close to 10 K a year just for my license. And I'm just a manufacturer. So fees are still pretty high, but you know, I definitely preface this by saying, you know, there's some folks that are doing a whole lot more, uh, uh, advocacy in the space, legislative work in the space that can speak to this even better than me. But on my end, just being an operator in business right now, I'd first start to say that we need to have states addressing what their stance is with the drug, the war on drugs. What do they think it was? What do they think their role of it was? And how do they think they need to remedy that? Because in any state that's becoming legal, it's just kind of the idea that, oh, shucks, we didn't know it was anything bad with it. Or we didn't, oh, shucks, we didn't know that enforcement of cannabis would lead to all these unintended consequences. We just didn't know. Now, There's definitely a lot of data to, to a, a lot of research, a lot of documents, uh, a lot of news clippings and whatnot to show that it was definitely a race based attack uh, on different communities and whatnot. And, you know, going against resources, A, B and C. Right. So we need states to kind of just be honest about that, because what I don't like to see is a lot of states using funds for cannabis to go to law enforcement. I mean, there's a general fund for law enforcement within every state, within every yeah. city. But then yeah. you you tax us to enforce ourselves mm-hmm. with surveillance, so you could just check our surveillance. You know, we yeah. have more stringent surveillance or more stringent stringent regulations than alcohol, tobacco, even banking. You know, so it, th- those are the things I'd say needs to start. Let's just come to the table, say what it is, and then from there we could kind of be able to you know kind of parse back what the the issues are. So outside of that, you know, outside of a coming to Jesus meetings and things like that. <laughs> I'd say that uh, it needs to address banking because uh, when we have states that come online independent of federal legalization, you know, there's still banks that are a little hesitant and, yeah. you know, they, they have their own bottom line to deal with themselves. They don't want to get caught up by the SEC thinking about money laundering, A, B, and C. So, you know, as much as we can harp on the banks, you know, we understand their position. So we definitely need to have at least each state should do something when it comes to allowing banks to have a more equitable uh, space for businesses to get loans or, you know, things like that. Even just putting money into a bank without being charged crazy fees. So, you know, yeah. though, that, that that's where it starts, banking and financing and things like that. Then it comes to uh, zoning, where these businesses are going to be at, uh, who who's available to co- go to, you know, one of the nicer parts of the city and buy one of these buildings and things like that, you know. Are you going to allow certain communities to get uh, uh, spaces in their own communities to have manufacturing facilities or, you know, stores and things like that? So it, 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 it's a lot of things. <laughs> it's a lot of things. <laughs> I definitely say uh, one of the, the one of the easiest things these states can do, just have folks like myself, folks of, you know, the minority communities and things like that, disadvantaged communities to come to the table, invite them there. Tell them about what they think they're going to do with legalization and how we can make this more inclusive for everybody to have a voice. Sure, sure. Let's let's hear from the people that are actually uh, impacted by it. I agree with that 100 percent. You know, one of the things that I've I've said, and and I may have told you this last time we talked, but I've always said that uh, one simple way they could impact social equity in a very large way, aside from reducing fees and things like you've already pointed out. Uh, would be to simply set up what I call a social equity, a, a, a drug war social equity SBA, Small Business Administration. You did say that, and that's a great idea. <laughs> I think I thought I might have said it before. That's you a know, great idea. Take, 
you take one to two percent of the revenue that you're already making. Don't don't add another one or two percent. Right. Just take one or two percent off the top and put that into that program for people who who've been arrested for simple possession and have their lives basically ruined because of it. You know, uh, where if they want to start a business, they can go there instead of having to go through the, the general SBA, which is I've been there. Nobody wants to do that. <laughs> you know, and and then all you have to do is show, look, how you were impacted. Okay, boom, here you go. You know, low interest loan so that you can get that business started on top of the lower fees, et cetera, et cetera. I think that'd be a wonderful way to do it. I think that'd be a great way to do it. I think the problem is, is again, uh, states just don't want to be honest about, you know, who were affected, how were they affected, you know? I don't want to get on here and, you know, bash law enforcement, you know, but, you know, there's definitely a myriad of stories over the last 70 years of, like you said, folks lives being destroyed or even when legalization started to happen. Folks would when it was quasi legal out here, you know, you get stories from previous dispensary owners where folks would would, cops would just come in, break down the doors, take their flour, burn it up and they come back and said, oh, we were wrong. And then you're out of your materials, you're out of your your inventory and things like that. And you're not getting any Mm -hmm. of that money back. You know, things like that. Folks just getting getting their ass beat by cops for no reason. You know, strip insertion, all these sorts of different things that were done by the state. So I think the issue is, is, you know, if we were being honest about it and the states were being honest about it, you know, they would be able to say those things. These are the things that we did, some type of reconciliation. And then mm-hmm. from there, you know, we'd be able to, you know, parse out how we could make these things more equitable based on, you know, being honest about what we all were with it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's definitely something that needs to be a part of it, in my opinion. But I mean, even beyond the whole social equity conversation, I mean, you look at at the fees that that a dispensary, number one, they they won't reopen licensing licensing here in Texas for some (laughs) odd reason. Uh, But you look at the fees that they pay and I can't remember. I can't quote you exactly what it is right off the top of my head. But I know it's 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 over one hundred thousand dollars to have a license to be a to be a a medicine producer for the teacup program here in Texas. And then you're limited to what products you can provide, you know, flour. No, that's not happening. (laughs) (laughs) Use some CBD. (laughs) Yeah. No. Well, I mean, they did. uh, They did in twenty twenty one. They increased the the THC percentage. And it's it's deceiving. And I think I've explained this to you the last time we talked. It's extremely deceiving, you know, the 0.5%, the 1% and all that. But uh, when they increased it from 0.5% to 1%, first and foremost, you got to remember that's by dry weight, not actual percentages, <laughs> right? It's, it's insane the way they worded it. But because of that, we're able to produce, the, our providers here in Texas are able, able to produce 25 milligram THC gummies, just the same as. You can get in Colorado or California or Washington, anywhere else, right? Right. And uh, the people that are on the program are actually reporting, most of them are reporting excellent results. Uh, you know, Not all, but you know what? Not all are in Colorado either. Right. You know, there are some people that it's just not going to work for. And that's what I think a lot of people don't understand. Nothing's the perfect miracle for everybody. But the one thing that is a consensus, I think, with when it comes to cannabis, and I prefer the word cannabis myself. Absolutely. But, uh, the one thing I think that people don't understand, really don't understand, is that a lot of variables are involved in it as well. 
It's a lot about what your diet is, depending upon what you're trying to do with it. You're Absolutely. right. So there's there's a lot of other alternative factors that play in that, believe it or not, would actually play into some pharmaceuticals as well. If you if you really listen to what your doctor tells you when they write you that prescription. Oh, for sure. If you have a good doctor anyway. And there's a ton of cannabinoids that are yet to be either discovered, figured out oh, exactly. Know. You know, it's hundreds of them out there. So we find uh, something well, new every day. Beyond uh, what what's yet to be discovered, there's a ton of what's yet to be discovered about the cannabinoids we know about that exist. I mean, they're still learning new stuff every single day. Absolutely. You know, you're always seeing new stuff out there. So, uh, I mean, it's just mind boggling why we're still fighting this battle here in Texas and and a few other States still, you know, and at the federal level, I mean, it just, uh, I mean, at this point, you know, like we say all the time, the cat's out of the bag, right? Absolutely. I mean, how many states are there now? 36, 35 or 36? You know, the the way I think about it is I usually just say this saying, if something doesn't make sense, that's the point. You know, there's somebody benefiting from it. There's some <laughs> there's some folks that, like I said, I, I, I'm privileged to, you know, have paid to play. I have a business license. So I'm able to, you know, be since I do some of the regulation stuff, I'm able to be in some of these room city council meetings and things like that. And you'd be completely surprised who is saying some of the, you know, talking points against marijuana even though it's illegal you know (laughs) it's a legal commodity here it's ridiculous so you know if it doesn't make sense that's the whole point you know so i was i was just fixing to go to there on (laughs) on that and uh and that that part of your your story uh let us uh get ready to take this next short sponsor break and then we'll come back and talk about these these invites that you've been receiving here lately (laughs) Absolutely. We'll be right back. The Lone Star Collective. I'm your host, Gramps, and my guest is Jarrell Wall. We'll be right back after this short message. Oak Cliff Cultivators is a sponsor of Texas Cannabis Collective and the Lone Star Collective podcast. Oak Cliff focuses on quality assurance with their hemp products while providing customer service to help you discover cannabinoids to meet your needs. Their product line includes hemp flour, pre-rolls, CBG tinctures, edibles, Delta Eat, and merch. For more information on their product's quality or to shop online today, visit oakcliffcultivators.com or contact them at info at oakcliffcultivators.com. Thrive Apothecary offers an experience truly unique from anything else in Texas, a full-service cannabis solution that is doctor-owned and offers customers every level of cannabis legally available in Texas. From traditional CBD products to emerging hemp-derived THC edibles, smokables, and now medical cannabis. As a licensed medical cannabis provider, prospective patients from anywhere in Texas can book a sponsored online eligibility consultation to determine if they qualify for a medical marijuana prescription from the comfort of their own home. Plus, for Texas veterans, the first prescription appointment is donated by Thrive. Visit thrivetx.com for more information. Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast, distributed on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Facebook, and much more, to give Texans information regarding policy, industry, and culture. Here is this week's host, Jesse Williams.
Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Grant Crisprosolia, with my guest, Jarrell Wall of Gentlemen Quins of Colorado. We're talking about uh, social equity and his uh, big-ass blunts that they, they hand-roll in Colorado. I still love that that name, Gentlemen and Quins. And the mini-ass blunts. We have a new product. The high That's right. You do have a new product. Absolutely. Tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, we, um, we, we noticed at the top of the year, you know, we were doing our thing, but we noticed that within the pre-roll market, a lot of folks were kind of doing smaller joints that are like 0.5 grams cannabis just to be, you know, walk out the street with. And we said we could do something like that uh, with our own you know, process, but we can't do 0.5 grams. So we wanted to do some 1.25, still the size of what we would like a blunt to be. But they're miniature. They're adorable. The way we market them, we have some pretty incredible artists that have helped us with the designing of the process as well as the marketing of it and whatnot. And, you know, that's our second product right now as we kind of open up our portfolio of products and, you know, the mini Quinn's high class mini as blunt are one of our best sellers this year. Oh, really? I know I've seen them. I've seen the marketing It's some, some great marketing work <laughs> going on there. Uh, so right before the break, we started talking about, or you started to talk about uh, some of these city council meetings and other, other areas where you've been invited to sit in. Tell us a little bit about that and what that experience has been like. Yeah. So I noticed uh, when I got into the industry that, you know, the state would ask either stakeholders or folks that worked in the industry to be a part of regulating meetings and stuff like that. So once I got my business license, I said, you know, I have an affinity for government. You know, I'm from an underprivileged part of Indiana. And I know the reasons why that is is because we're not really at the table a lot of the times. So I wanted to take the opportunity in marijuana to, you know, just at least start listening in and give a voice where I could. Uh, and, you know, kind of see this is the first one of the first few states that became legal. So, you know, I've had the opportunity to meet with a lot of the lawyers that help craft it, a lot of the business owners that help craft it. So I said I wanted to just be a part of that tapestry of folks who, you know, kind of doing that pioneer work. So I've been invited to, you know, uh, science and policy meetings in terms of how we test products, how we find expiration dates for products, uh, you know, what type of things that are needed for quality assurance for the customer. I was sure. able to be a part of meetings uh, about social equity, uh, working with the governor's office, working with the, well, I can't really say the mayor's office. We don't do a lot in the city of Denver with the mayor's office, but you know, the, the, we have uh, our regulatory body in the city of Denver, excise and licensing. You know, they invite me to a few different things and, you know, in different trade groups that I'm in, uh, I get invited to city council meetings and things like that to see what rules are about to be coming down a pipeline, see how different city councils vote on them. Uh, and, you know, just kind of see what the detractions are, uh, you know, how the wheels of uh, the government works. So my experience is, and it has been, uh, you know, it's been mixed because part of it, you know, there aren't a lot of uh, folks like myself, folks of color, black folks uh, that one, have a lot of these licenses. And two, if they do have a lot of these licenses uh, behind the room, behind the closed doors, they either have gotten, you know, quieted to, to a certain extent that they don't want to participate or, you know, they don't really care enough. And I'm just saying black, a lot of black people care, but even just all business owners, right? Yeah, they get into these yeah. rooms, they get silenced or, you know, they just don't really care enough. They have a proxy there to, you know, be their, uh, you know, legal aid in these meetings. So they don't really participate. So yeah. I saw that it was an, it was a necessity, especially when social equity is on the table and we don't have a lot of folks in the room like myself. And there sure. are a lot of folks in the room that have been more affected by the blood, drug war than myself. You know what I mean? I'm not, I never got, I've never been arrested, you know? But I am from a city in Gary, Indiana, that's, you know, over policed and things like that and deprived of a lot of resources. So, you know, I, I have 
my voice, but there's more voices that need to be there. And like I said, uh, just in terms of my view on it or my experiences, like I said, it's been mixed a bit, but I have, uh, you know, been able to meet some good folks and, you know, it's a long game, right? Uh, the industry is going to be here with the hope for the next 100, 150 years or whatever, however long the country is going to be around. We want cannabis sure. to be one of the staple industries in American society. So, you know, it's it's, it's a gradual thing to sh- steer this ship into the right direction. So as long as I'm there and bringing more folks along, I can't complain too much. Yeah, I don't think I don't think there's any stopping this train at this point. Absolutely. They may they may keep slowing it down in places like Texas here. Uh, or Indiana. And then, <laughs> or Indiana. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, um, I say that because it largely depends on what happens in November. You know, if we keep electing the same people, we're going to get the same results, you know, Absolutely. and uh, that's that's what I keep trying to preach. You know, look around you. Do you want the same things to keep happening? Then keep electing the same people, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and of course, that's that's at the state level. Federal level is a whole nother story. We just need to wipe them clean and start over. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. But uh, so so tell us, since we're still working at it, we're getting ready to charge into a new session here after the elections, you know, and we are going to have, a, you know, the week after the, the November elections are state reps and senators here will start pre-filing bills and whatnot. So tell our listeners, what are some of the things we can do in uh, reaching out to our lawmakers now, even before they maybe even get elected? Because, you know, we we know probably which ones are going to get elected at this point. Pretty good chance anyway. And in my opinion, we could reach out to both sides of the aisle at this point until we figure out who does right with the same ideas. So, uh, you know, tell us, tell our listeners in your your terms, your ideas of what maybe we can do here in Texas different or in addition to what we've been doing that might reach our lawmakers better. I mean, I definitely say folks need to talk to the Texas uh, Cannabis Collective because you guys have been doing a lot of grassroots roots work. You've been in those rooms. You know exactly what's going on in terms of what's going on in Texas. I can't really speak on what's going on out there specifically. I could just say, you know, involvement is really big. Uh, it's a lot of it's, it's a burden, you know. Doing anything in government is a burden. Getting a new school, sure. getting running water is a burden. You know, folks, folks that want to take your resources and put them somewhere else and things like that. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort and stress and whatnot. But it really is about being involved. Like you said, an election's coming up. We got an election coming up here. That's, you know, getting city council members and a brand new mayor coming up soon and whatnot. People need to vote. They need to understand one it's an American right. And two, it's a necessity to get the things you need or to at least understand the process of how the world you live in right now is the way it is. So, you know, as a free society compared to other countries and things like that, we need to exercise that. Uh, like I said, you know, speaking to folks that understand the process, normal and things like that, that have pushed uh, legalization over the, the goal line. And generally, you know, if you don't have a ton of money to just toss out to these really shitty politicians, I mean, the, the conventional way that it really works is just keep pestering them, calling Absolutely. them, emailing Absolutely. them, you know, going to their office. It's, it's your city building, too. You could go there. Just go there and knock on their door if you can, you know, do whatever yeah. you can to, you know, articulate in, in the best way that you know how by speaking to you guys what things need to be done and whatnot. And at the same time, open a bridge to these other states that have been legal. Uh, you know, obviously, there's a new state online right now that is still figuring it, itself out. And it was definitely good to be in contact with states on the East Coast. Uh, new states, Nevada, New Mexico, Illinois, Michigan, Massachusetts. But it's also good to be in contact with states that have been doing this even longer. You know, the Californias, the Colorados, the Washingtons, the Oregons, 
you know, mm-hmm. to a lesser extent, the Washington DCs or whatever they yeah. got going on there. You yeah. know, it's good to be in contact with folks that actually have crafted it because by and large at this point, you know, you definitely have a lot of capitalists that want to make money and doing things, but sure. you definitely have a lot of advocacy, advocacy that's being done uh, within law, you know, folks that are lawyers and whatnot that have already crafted stuff that, you know, are able to come to different states and just let them know how it works. So, you know, just opening the communications and, you know, just being involved in that way. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, uh, the one thing that I keep saying to everybody is because I get a lot of pushback on, <laughs> on my page on Facebook and stuff where I'll post, you know, come out of the closet. If you support it, come out of the closet. Let's talk Absolutely. about it. Tell everybody. Let's be loud and proud. Right. And I get a lot of pushback by people who say, well, I know it's easier said than done. <laughs> it's like, Jesus Christ, people, I'm not telling you to go out in the middle of the street and fire up a blunt. Absolutely. Or I or, am. Or, or, well, I okay. am. Uh, well, I know you are, but that's because you see profit margins. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, don't, I'm not telling you to grab your, your rig and go out there and, and do a dab in the middle of the driveway, you know, or walk up to their office with it in your Absolutely. pocket. You know, I'm just telling you to tell them how you feel. Absolutely. There's nothing illegal about telling somebody what you believe and how you feel. Absolutely. And that's all we mean by come out of the closet and get involved. We're not telling you to go blow smoke in their face, you know, but you know, it's hard to get that message across where people understand it. I think. Well, you know what? I'd add to that and I'd actually even, uh, I'll half push Colorado on this, but I'll push every legal state that has recreational and either, even the ones that have medical, uh, Places like Pennsylvania, places like Illinois have made cannabis uh, usage protections for employment. And mm-hmm. one of the biggest issues is, you know, folks don't want to lose their jobs. You know, I used to work corporate. I used to work in television. We used to work in tech. And, you know, I worked with companies that had government contracts. And their thinking is we don't want to upset what that relationship is. The government mm-hmm. has a bottomless amount of money. And we want to make sure that we're able to get big mergers. We're able to get these contracts for different uh, technologies and things like that. So. You know, again, it's all about uh, being pragmatic and understanding the complexity of things, right? So mm-hmm. I understand that. But at the same time, uh, it's limiting not only our customer base, it's limiting what we can do in terms of, you know, banking A, B, and C. But if folks are worried about getting fired, you know, worried about getting profiled, worried about losing their kids, their mortgage, all of these things, you know, is going to keep them in the closet. So, you know, I definitely understand it. And, you know, like I said, it took me a, it took me a long time to be able to be completely proud and come out and do these podcasts because I had to have a, pl- a split personality, right? I had to have the corporate <laughs> personality, you know, do the things that were right to use, move up that corporate ladder to get more money to go into my business. But at the same time, if folks don't know who you are, they're not going to be in- interested. They're not going to be engaged in your business. So that hurt me for a long time. So right now I just hit the flag. Hey, we just need to have cannabis uh, employment protections, you know, across the board, you know, Colorado Absolutely. did do something. Uh, Governor Jared Polis did pass something uh, a few weeks ago, you know, more power to him. It was great. We could definitely go further and you know, not to toss that aside. He did, you know, make some cannabis protections for workers and whatnot and yeah. license licensees. You know, that's a great step. But, you know, when it comes to Illinois, they basically did it across the board. You cannot be fired for what no. you do at home. Now, no. if you work for a business and that business expressly forbids, uh, forbids something uh, in terms of your behavior at the job, you know, that's fine. But when it comes to things you're doing sure. at home, it should be off limits. Have more people being able to speak about these things. Absolutely. And that's the, that's the thing that, that I think that, that even the lawmakers are starting to realize is, it, especially in the legal states where this is starting to happen, uh, they're starting to realize that, you know, cannabis is not something that 
like alcohol you can do and eight, nine, 10 hours later, it's gone from your system. Right. Even though the effects of it are gone in a couple of hours, it stays in your system where it shows up on a test for, right. and depending on how much you do, it can be up to 30 days. You know, uh, I've seen, seen some people had problems passing the test even longer than 30 days. I thought, Lord have mercy. You got a problem. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I don't know how you could afford to have it that bad. It's bad. Absolutely. But uh, at any rate, uh, you know, it's just, uh, I forgot where I was going with that, but uh, it, it's crazy what people don't understand, you know, and, and misconstrue when you try to get them to get involved. And it, like talking about the whole coming out of the closet thing. It's absolutely. We're just talking about telling people what you believe and how you feel. It's as simple as that, Absolutely. you know? So have y'all got any plans for any new products coming up? Oh, right now we're really just hammering down on the mini Quinn. Uh, we got into a big chain store, the green solution recently, along with the rest oh. of our, uh, you know, distribution lanes and whatnot. Who've, you know, went mini, they want to get some mini blunts up in there. So we're really happy about that. So this year is really just the year of the mini Quinn's high class, mini ass blunt. And then the next year, we're going to be kind of figuring out a few more things. But as we get more finance into the company, more smart brains other than myself, you know, we're going to be doing more things. But right now, it's the high class, big ass blunt and the high class, mini ass blunt. Cool. Cool. So tell our listeners before we go where, you know, plug your business. Where can they find you when they come to Colorado? Absolutely. So the first thing you're going to do is go to GentlemanQuins.com. So you can see the whole array of dispensaries we're in, uh, depending on what part of the state. We're throughout Colorado at this point, and it's Awesome to say, because when I was there with you before, we were in a few spots. Now we're all over the state. We're selling out. We're doing our thing, and we're part of the larger cannabis industry now. So you definitely want to go to our website, GentlemanQuins.com. You can follow us on social media under that name, or you can go to social media under Mini Cues, Cues, where you can find about the Mini Quins. Uh, But we have a a bunch of dispensaries. You know, definitely our flagship store is Simply Pure, uh, headed by Wanda James, one of the biggest advocates in all of cannabis, you know, one of my biggest, fa- I'm one of her biggest fans. So Simply Pure Dispensary, uh, THC, which is another woman-owned dispensary. Incredible folks there. Uh, Smokies as well. Uh, Smokies 420 out east. Uh, I, I, I don't want to miss anybody. We got a lot of dispensaries now. So, you know, but like I said, uh, the, the mini coins are going to be in the green solution, which is a more ubiquitous dispensary out here. So, you know, we're all over the place. We just go to gentlemanquins.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram. I think we're doing a TikTok now. So follow how we're trying to figure that out. That's one I haven't done yet. (laughs) That's a tricky one. So, you know, I got to find a, find like a a college student to help out, but you know, you can find us (laughs) on social media. Cool deal. Cool deal. Well, I want to thank you again, Drell, for coming on and joining us. Uh, It's been, been fun. You got to thank me. Thank you. This is amazing. (laughs) Uh, I appreciate that. And I want to thank all our listeners for joining us here on the Lone Star Collective. (laughs) 